You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, Sacred, the Wonder of God's World. In this series, we'll learn to see the goodness of God's world as men and women who have received the opportunity to become life-giving people, creatively fulfilling the mission given to us by God. Now hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems, and that moves about in it according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. This is the word of the Lord. All right, thank you. You may be seated. Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. My name's Travis, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, today uh, marks the second uh, day in our series um, through the book of Genesis um, that we've entitled Sacred, and uh, here we will be looking at uh, almost the entirety of Genesis 1. Um, I've said before 
uh, and for that matter. So I say again, I grew up um, grew up in the country, and um, I lived on a series of hills. It was like one large hill, and then there was a smaller hill, and then a smaller hill. And if you were going north towards Bloomington, um, on the right-hand side of the road was where my parents lived. And they lived up on top of a hill. So we, we had a whole bunch of hills that we lived up on. And um, my dad and grandfather built this, this old pole barn um, kind of in the middle of the property. And my dad had this really large security light. It was, uh, these lights here kind of remind me. It was just a certain brightness. Too. It was really bright. It was on the north side. So one of the things I enjoyed doing in those days if you get away from the city, you can see the stars at night um, very well. Um, but you couldn't, be, you couldn't be over by the security light because it would kind of drown out the lights in the sky. So we would, I would have to be somewhere else away from that. And uh, one of my friends um, was a guy that would always, we would meet up, which, you know, we were friends through our teenage years, early 20s, so we couldn't go to sleep anyway. So we would meet up and uh, sit uh, sit on lawn chairs and look up at the sky and talk about whatever the random things we were talking about, some combination of kind of life and sports and books and random stories that, you know, you tell. Uh, and so... I was a Christian at that point in time. My friend was not then, and, and unfortunately, he's not to this day. And so we were sitting there, look, kind of looking up at the sky, talking, just sharing about whatever. I don't recall what it was. And then unprovoked, my friend said, you know, I know that I don't believe in God the same way that you do, but looking at these stars... I can't help but think that there is a God. Now, that just came unprovoked. But if I clarify and we kind of break it down, it was unprovoked by me. That is, I didn't say anything to him to provoke a discussion about who God is and that he is the creator of all things, and for that matter, the God that I, I hold, I believe in, that I serve, is the God who made those stars. It was unprovoked by me, but it was provoked by the stars, because he looks up, he sees stars, and then it causes him to say something to me about God and the universe, and that. And that's significant for a variety of reasons. I mean, it was one significant to me because um, by that point in my Christian life, and for that matter, with that relationship with a friend, he had already heard. He had already heard my drill. He had already heard about my Christianity and my belief in Jesus, and he heard it in all kinds of variety of ways. And and some of them weren't good. I wasn't always the best witness, and sometimes I was obnoxious, and sometimes I was audacious, and sometimes I was kind of withdrawn, and sometimes I was lazy, and I was all kinds of things. But what's, what's, what I'm grateful for in that situation, and for that matter, every situation when it comes to the stars is, is that God has made the world in such a way that he will see to it. He will see to it to get his message across. 
whether I'm obnoxious or not, and whether I'm skillful or not, or whether I'm whatever or not. God is so committed to himself that he will even make the stars make it clear of who he is, that he is the God who has made all things, and he's great. And so that message was unprovoked by me, but it was provoked by the stars above. And then for that matter, if you look and listen at creation long enough, you will see that creation can't keep quiet about God. The stars are a nightly announcement that God is great. The birds with their bright songs in the morning speak about about the delight and the beauty of God every morning. The clouds are an ongoing movement and parade of how majestic God is. All of creation is on a a regular and ongoing basis making it clear that there is a God and that he is great and he's worthy of our worship. And in Genesis chapter 1, Moses writes for Israel and he says, that God, the God who made heaven and earth, which is just a way of saying he made all things, He's the God that you serve. He's a personal God. And he's the God of Israel. And so, in the passages before us, like in light of all of this, in light of the message of Moses, in light of the message of the stars, in light of the things that I'm saying, it's, I have one message, I have one thing that I want to get across today. And that is that creation is a sacred presentation. Creation is a sacred presentation. There are three ways that creation is a sacred presentation that the text demonstrates. First, creation displays a God of greatness. Creation displays a God of greatness. Second, creation displays a God of order. And then third, creation displays a God of abundance. First, Creation displays a God of order. So, as Pastor Jonah preached last week, in the opening words in the Bible are some of the most famous words in the English language. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in verse 2, what we have is we actually have the problem. Look here with me at Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty, Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So there's a problem initially, and the problem is is that the, the world is without form and empty, or some translations say without form and void, or formless and empty. But the point is, is that the world is a place that is, it's, It's landless, it's lightless. Pastor Jonah mentioned, and you see the words that are used throughout Scripture, and it's used of like a desert wasteland. And so it's a place where there's no light. It's this watery desert wasteland, and that's a problem. But Moses makes clear in verse 2 that the Spirit of God was present. Now what's significant about that? What difference does it make that though the world is without form and void and yet the Spirit of God is present? Well, because in the Scriptures, wherever the Spirit of God is, something miraculous will take place. 
And you see that throughout the scriptures. The prophets will speak at times about the promises of God and that God will pour out his spirit on the dry land. And the, the pro prophets talk about it. It's in Isaiah chapter 59 where he talks about the spirit of God will be given to God's children and God's children's children and they will speak God's word. And so wherever the spirit is, something miraculous will take place. And so though the world is empty and without form, the Spirit is present and the Spirit will do his work. And how will he do his work? What will be the vehicle? What will be the mechanism that he'll do his work or accomplish his work? He'll do it by the word of God. Look here with me in verse three. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Verse six. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. Verse 9, and God said, the water, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. So the spirit is present, but, and this is very important because you'll see this throughout all the scriptures. Remember, Genesis 1 is providing the foundation for everything else that we're going to see in the Bible. And one of the things that Genesis 1 teaches us is wherever the spirit of God is, the word of God is. And wherever the word of God is, the spirit of God is. And you can't separate the presence of God from the word of God. It's just you're trying to divide something together that God has brought together. And so there's this rhythm and there's this pattern to Genesis chapter 1. And, and as I was reading it, you probably heard it. Or as it was read earlier, you heard it. You have this, you have this statement, and God said. So there's this, and then there's a command, let there be fill in the blank. And then it says, and it was so. And then it, it provides an evaluation, and it was good. And then it gives us the chronology, and that was morning and evening the first day. And so there's this rhythm to it. It's not quite poetry, but it is rhythmic. And so even in the way this is being told, you see the order that is, that is baked in, so to speak. You have the order that is included in, even in the storytelling, even in the way that Moses breaks this down. And he says, look, God made all these things by, by his word. And so creation, Moses will make clear, creation itself serves multiple purposes. Look here with me. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, let, and God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. So here he speaks about, about the making of the sun, the moon, and the stars. And did you notice that he said the sun, the moon, and the stars are signs, signs to mark sacred times. Now what's significant that they are signs? Well, that word signs gets used throughout the Old Testament in particular. The most famous in the Old Testament is actually that the, the judgments that God brought on Pharaoh and on the Egyptians were signs of the Lord's, of the Lord's lordship, so to speak, of that he, had, he is a king that is greater than Pharaoh. And so when God, God brought judgments on Egypt, judgments of the frogs, 
um, and the, the hail and the darkness and so on, those, it says in Exodus, were signs. And they were, they were visible reminders, something about the character of God. But that's not the beginning of the discussion on signs. The beginning of the discussion on signs are even in the creation account, that the sun, the moon, and the stars, they, they serve multiple purposes. And one of the things that they do is they serve to mark out. They serve to be a visible reminder that there is a God, that he is great. And only God himself could have created stars, the moon, the sun, and the like. There's something that we learn from this, this chapter that's really important. It's a basic lesson. But that's we're not like God. Or I should say it more accurately, God's not like us. I don't know about you, but I can't do this, and I'm fairly certain none of you could do this because you would be very rich. But none of you, and I as well, cannot make light emerge by a mere word. I can start an argument through a mere word, but, but I can't make light emerge from a mere word. You got to think that creation itself, just think God didn't even break a sweat whenever he made the Rocky Mountains. God, it, it, it was effortless for God to make the ocean. It, it's, it takes no effort out of God. It takes no, he, he doesn't break a sweat. He doesn't have to strain. No, no extra effort necessary for God other than to speak a word and all these things come into existence. God's not like us. And that's actually a good thing. It'll say in Psalm 121, which is a psalm that celebrates God as a creator, it'll say, I lift up my eyes to the hills and where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And it'll say about God in that psalm, he neither slumbers nor sleeps. So just think about that. God doesn't need to take a nap. He doesn't need to go to sleep. You and I, if we stay awake long enough, right, we're going to start speaking really delirious. We're going to start speaking crazy. And not only that, but if we stay awake long enough, we'll end up killing ourselves. But not God. How come? Well, he's not like us. And that's important for us to embrace because there will be times in your life where only God, only a God who can speak and make, make the mountains, only a God who can speak and make the stars, it will be him and him only who can bring order and peace into your life. At some point in time, we'll give God thanks because he's not like us. Or, and, and you know, whenever they wrote, when they wrote the children's song, they said this, they tapped into this, didn't they? They said about us, we are weak, but he is what? Strong. And that's true. And he is, he is a God who's limitless, and he's a God who's great. Second, creation demonstrates a God of order. So, 
you have it again as we go back kind of to the problem in Genesis 1. It's this in verse 2. Again, look with me. Now the earth was formless and empty. The darkness was over the surface of the deep. So the world is this shadowy, dark, landless place. But God's going to deal with that problem. And what he does is he deals with it in an orderly way. So as I said, there's even a rhythm to it. And God said, and it was so. It was good. This was morning and evening, the first day, and so on and so on. And so what will take place is days one, two, and three is God dealing with the formlessness of the world. So God creates the form of light. He says, let there be light, and he creates a form. And God creates the form of the sky, the form of the sea, day two. God creates the form of the land. He draws back the waters and he separates it so that we have the land and the earth. And so days one, two, and three have an order to it. And that order is God is dealing with the formlessness of the world. And days four, five, and six, God is filling. He's filling the light with the sun, the moon, the stars. He's filling this, the sky with the birds. He's filling the sea on day five with the sea creatures. And on day six, he's filling the land with the livestock and the wild animals all according to their kind. And there's an order to it. Now, what's the reason for the order? Well, one, it demonstrates something about the character of God, but it also is there to serve us. Look here again in verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. So creation has multiple functions. It has multiple purposes. It has multiple jobs. Creation multitasks, so to speak. And at one level, creation multitasks in that it makes clear who it is that God is, that he exists and he's powerful. Again, if you think about the original story that I told with myself and my friend, creation, the stars did their job in that they called to attention that there is a God. But they don't only do that. Moses says here that, that the sun, the moon, and the stars mark out sacred times. Maybe we would say that we experience, we experience time through seasons, and the sun, the moon, and the stars make it clear, right? And so the sun comes up in the morning, and the sun goes down in the evening, and it makes clear to us time. And that's part of its purpose. That's part of what it's doing. Creation is meant to display the glory of God and serve the good of people. And it's to mark out sacred times. As you go through the scriptures, Leviticus will use this word in Leviticus 23, and we translate it feasts. And in Israel, they organized their calendar based on sacred times that they celebrated as feasts. When God's people would get together, we could translate the word appointments, that the sun, the moon, the stars give us divine appointments. And so it sets apart time for us, for Israel, to be holy. Why? Well, because every year around April, April comes around and Israel gets together and they remember that, that there was a time when they were in slavery in the land of Egypt and God brought them out. He delivered them. And so the sun, the moon, the stars serve them by saying, hey, it's April and we get together and what do we do? We don't get together for no reason. We get together so that we can worship God. 
The sun, the moon, and the stars serve us as Christians as we get together on Sunday. And why do we get together on Sunday? Well, to remember that we serve a God who created us, who saved us, and who was raised from the dead on a Sunday. There's a divine appointment that the sun, the moon, and the stars serve. Let me ask you, what do you need to do to make time to be holy? Do you need to carve out time to be holy? What kind of time do you need to carve out? Just you and the Lord. And for some of you, maybe that's what you need to do. You need to get a calendar and you need to say, I'm putting it on the calendar. It's just me, the Lord. Maybe a Bible, cup of coffee in the morning, or a cup of coffee in the evening, whatever your conscience permits, I suppose. But will you make time to be holy? For some of you, what that means is maybe you just make time to go be alone with the Lord, to go take a walk. It doesn't have to be, it can be wherever, on sidewalk, in the woods, whatever. But what can you do to, have, to let creation do its job, which is to serve you by saying, hey, on Tuesday, on Sunday, a month from now, wherever, I'm going to make time to just be alone and it is just myself and the Lord. What can you do to make time to be holy? For some of you, maybe it's to establish a pattern in your home. It may be a pattern of a family meal, um, old school, you know, like people, food, and no electronics or something. Uh, nothing to distract you. Parents, maybe um, you need to establish some sort of bedtime routine where you bless your children. And it doesn't have to be long, especially if they're small. They're not going to be able to tolerate it for very long anyway. But can you establish that pattern? Because the sun, the moon, and the stars are there to remind you that, hey, it's bedtime. Hey, it's nighttime. And I need to stop and set aside time to bless my kids. Or kids, children, set aside time to bless your parents. You've only got so much time with any one person in the world. And we have to be honest about the limitations of our time. So what can you do to make time to be holy? To take time out for family. To take time out for a friend. There's a temptation that we have to resist when it comes to time. There's two temptations. And they're kind of summarized in a question. One is... <clears throat> Are you more likely to ask this question? How long is this going to take? Or are you more likely to ask this question? When's this actually due? See, how long is this going to take is the temptation towards hurry, right? It's the temptation to say, well, I can, I can force something to happen. The only time that I've got is now, and I've got to get all this done right now. Or... If I'm transparent and you're like me, it's like, when is this really due? Like, I've never encountered any task that wasn't worthy to do tomorrow or next week or a month from now. But what's the problem with that? Well, the, the hurry says the only time we've got is now. And procrastination says, well, oh, we've always got later. And the reality is, is we only have what God will give us. So... How do we deal with that tension? Well, at one level, I think we pray and we say, Moses actually prays this in Psalm 90. The guy who wrote this, he says, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Because you don't know how much time you have. And maybe you do need to do it now. And maybe you do need to do it later. 
Because if you look in creation, creation operates based on the time that God wants it to. The trees aren't in a hurry. They produce fruit in their season. But guess what? They produce fruit in their season. So let's make it our prayer. Lord, teach us to number our days. Give us wisdom. Help us to use time for what it's for. Uh, yesterday, my daughter had some friends over. And so they were going to do, they were going to go shopping, go to Chick-fil-A, go get duck donuts. They had just had a big full agenda. And so it was just me and the boys and my oldest son, I guess wanting to balance out the fun, like he didn't want all the girls to have the fun, said, hey, dad, can we go take a hike and maybe go look at some birds? And I said, oh, yeah, sure, we can do that. That's not a big deal. Now, I've been transparent and public about my uh, mistakes on choosing hikes for my son. So uh, this time it was like, you know, we're going to do something easy. We're going to go down to the falls of the Ohio you know, parking lots close to where we need to be. There's air conditioning in the building in there. If, you know, it gets over 85 and they've been out there for five minutes, you know. And so trying to take into account their limitations. And so I go down there. Well, of course, uh, there was some sort of roadblock and there was, I don't know, bikes and runners and whatever else. So I couldn't go. So I messed up my plans. But, you know, I'm going to be a good dad. I'm going to be flexible, keep it calm and so anyway, we ended up going down Utica Pike to Duff's Landing because it's like, ah, there's a parking lot. There's like picnic tables or whatever there. You know what I mean? And it's like, ah, we're by the water. There's some fields, some trees. We'll see some birds, you know. If nothing else, you'll see geese there, you know, and we can check it off the list of fun things that we did or whatever. So, <laughs> And uh, so we go over there. We pull into Duff's Landing. And when we got out, I heard this kind of high-pitched bird, and I knew it was a killdeer. My my oldest son had his little uh, National Geographic birds thing for kids or whatever. So he had this little book and he had binoculars and he was excited about what are we going to see. And so, oh, okay, I know what that sound is. So, hey, buddy, that's a killdeer. Why don't you look, look up, tell me something about a killdeer. And so he said, oh, dad, you know, they're, they're by fields and you can see them in parking lots and houses. And I said, oh, okay, well, across the street there, are some houses, there's a parking lot here and a field. Okay, great. Hey, makes sense. We see a killdeer here. And so then we go over, and there was ducks that landed in the Ohio River. He kept on saying, Dad, I really want to see a fish in the Ohio River. And I'm like, eh, I mean, it's kind of dirty, buddy. I don't think we're going to see <laughs> anything, to be honest. But, I, you know, I hope you see one. So, so, you know, some ducks land in the river, and there were some geese that came in. And so I was like, okay, well, we've seen some things. And, you know, I'm thinking, you know, 15, 20, 25 minutes, and then we're going to be done with this. And then I see all these birds kind of landing in this one tree. And I say, hey, buddy, there's, let's go over here to this tree. Let's go look at these birds because there's something going on. So I could see that it was some sort of woodpecker, but I, I don't know, woody woodpecker for all I know. I don't know who it was. But, you know, there's all kinds of different woodpeckers. And so I, I said, hey, you know, there's some sort of woodpecker there. And then, you know, seeing some other birds. And, I, you know, we were kind of talking about it. And then, so he's he's got these other books he's really into, which is like, like if two animals got in a fight, who would win? It's like, who would win? You know, lion or tiger, you know, shark or whale and so on and so on. Well, the newest one he's got and the one he's really jazzed up about is a falcon, a peregrine falcon versus a hawk. And I walk over to this tree and I see this bird shoot down in a very straight and quick. And so I say, hey, buddy, give me those binoculars. And I look and it's some sort of falcon. 
I'm really hoping it's a peregrine falcon because he's really into these right now, okay? And I'm really hoping them, not for the glory of anybody but myself, if I'm honest. Like, I just want to be that dad, right? You know, it's just kind of like, my dad's the greatest. He took us to see a peregrine falcon, and now I'm a Christian, you know, and I love my dad more than, you know what I mean? Like, if I'm honest, that's what I want out of this experience, you know? And so uh, I said, oh, buddy, you know, that's some sort of falcon, and I'm kind of describing it to him. And so I'm like, yes, I'm like, I'm just the greatest. This is so grand. So I'm like, okay, we got to leave now because something could go wrong. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're going to get their foot caught in a pothole or something. You know what I mean? It's going to ruin. So let's get out while we can. So we get in the car. And he's looking at his little book. <laughs> and he's like, Dad, I don't know if that was a peregrine falcon. I'm like, I didn't say this, but I'm like, it better have been a peregrine falcon. Like, I need this to be a peregrine falcon. He said, well, Dad, there's, there's an American kestrel, which is another kind of falcon. And he's describing it. And I was like, oh, it could be, you know. Like, I was like, well, I mean, you know, was it orange or blue, Dad? You know, did it have black on its face? And so we're talking all about it. And so I'm like, I don't know. He said, Dad, the kestrel, you know, they're by fields and they go into short trees. And he's talking all the details about it. I said, you know, buddy, I don't know what it was. But then I, I kind of stopped. Yes, the Lord gave me a little sobriety. And I said, you know, buddy, isn't it unbelievable that we can, we can just look to see where there are parking lots and fields. And we can say, you know what, there are probably kill deer, kill deer there. And there was. Like, isn't it unbelievable you can go to a field and say, you know what, you might see, you might see a small falcon there. Or you can go to another kind of field and see another kind of bird. I was like, isn't it unbelievable that God ordered things in such a way that you could just, you could go to one spot and say, you know what, there's a good chance we're going to see something that God made here. Well, there, there's the order of God's creation. But not only that, the third point is the God of abundance. Like, think about that. Like, we had a discussion about what kind of falcon it is. Why? Well, because God doesn't, he, he could do this, but he doesn't do factory-made falcons. Right? It would be unbelievable for God to speak a word and just to make falcons and they all look the same. But that's not what he does. Like, it would be unbelievable. And he can make factory-made planets. He speak a word and they all look the same. But that's not the way they do. The earth looks a certain way. Saturn looks a certain way. Jupiter looks a certain way. He can make factory-made stars, but that's not what he does. And what does that say about the character of God? Like, what does it say about the character of God that we have to have a conversation about, hey, what, what, did, what did the bird look like? What, what was his colors? What does that say about him? In the text, you see it in creation, but in the text it says, be fruitful and multiply. God says that to the creation and so God has made the world to demonstrate that he has so much abundance. There are no limits to his resources. Like, there's no restraints to the goodness of God. And you can see that out in the world, that he makes so much, and he makes so much beautiful. And the reality is, is he doesn't have to do that. And that's in the word. And you see that with the Lord Jesus. Like, what does it say about the character of God that he sends his own son? The one who Colossians says his hands were the ones that made all things. And he sends his son to take upon 
our sins on himself. To one day go and die on a tree that he made for people like you and I. We have that in the word, we have it in the cross. And it's demonstrated in the Lord's Supper because you see on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he says, this is my body, it's broken for you. Take eat of it, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he takes a cup of wine and he blesses it. He says, this cup is the cup of the new covenant sealed by the shedding of my blood. Take, drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. For every time you eat from this bread, you drink from this cup, renouncing the Lord's death until he returns. Until he returns to renew his creation and bring his people to live with him forever. So at this time, we'll participate in the Lord's Supper. So at this time, as you have it, take your wafer and eat of it. Remember, the body of Christ is broken for you. In the same way, take your cup and remember it was the blood of Jesus was shed for you. And this time, we'll respond by praying, we'll respond by singing, but we can also respond by giving. There's um, stations, one to my right, to your left, and then in the back corner of the auditorium. Let's pray together. Father, you're good and your mercy endures forever. And Lord, creation itself is an ongoing reminder of, uh, of your greatness, of um, your wisdom, how you made and ordered the world in such a way that the sun's, the sun's in the perfect spot, Lord, to provide us light, to provide us heat, um, without burning us up and without freezing us. And Lord, you order the world in such a way and you maintain it by the word of your power, and we're grateful for that. And Lord, the psalmist is accurate when they ask the question, when they look at the stars and say, what is man that you're mindful of him? And Lord, we're thankful that in spite of you maintaining the universe, you listen to us and you give time for us. So Lord, we're grateful. Lord, we um, long to know you better. We long to be in your presence. And we're longing for the coming of our Lord Jesus. And as we wait, we'll pray as he taught us. Whenever he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.